By now, we're all too familiar with the devastating attacks on Israel. Taken by surprise, around 200 people, including children, are still being held hostage in Gaza. I, like most of you, awoke shocked, distressed, and upset at what was occurring. I have family and friends in Israel. We all have some connection to the state of Israel. And witnessing from afar the worst attack to befall the Jewish people since the Holocaust, I was at a loss for what to do. We've talked a bit on this show in the past about how the Canadian arts community has, shall we say, a tense relationship when it comes to Israel. It's no surprise that artists tend to lean more progressive in their politics and thus tend to sympathize with the Palestinians. But what surprised me was the amount of people within this community, our arts community, who were sympathizing with Hamas and even went so far as to call the murder of 1,400 Jews a, quote, act of decolonialization, end quote. That there are no Israeli civilians, only settlers, and that all Palestinians, whether or not they hold a gun, are innocent. This added to my feelings of betrayal and questions on whether Jews in general, and Zionists in particular, have a place in the arts. On this week's episode, we are going to talk with Jordan Nachmias, a photographer and life coach, Sam Mogolansky, a visual artist and head of UJA Toronto's art division, and teacher and director, Tracy Aaron Smith. Thank you all for joining us today. I would really like to do a check-in with everyone. I don't know about you, but I haven't had a lot of artistic spaces where I've been able to openly talk about how I've been feeling and the responses to what's been going on within our community and within our artistic community. So Sam, I'd love to start with you. How are you feeling right now since everything that's been going on? Thank you. I've been going through so many emotions, like I think everyone has. The word that I'm just mainly using, probably from many years of art history, is surreal. It is real, but it's also not real at the same time. In my, uh, guess you call it, day job that you mentioned in your introduction, I'm the Director of Arts, Culture and Heritage for UGA Federation of Greater Toronto. And what's been very markedly different for me than others is that when I go into work, I don't need to explain what I'm feeling or why I'm upset. But at the same time, as I walk by my colleagues' desks, People are crying. People are texting frantically. And the mood has drastically shifted as we move from working with our community in Toronto to thinking about what is happening overseas. And I guess as an artist as well, I've been probably spending far too much time on my phone. I got that little iPhone update of your screen time is up 80% over last week. And while I've been shocked at many of the things that have been said online, as I'm sure we all have, I've also had some wonderful messages from non-Jewish colleagues that have really brought some comfort. Tracy, I see you nodding your head. Do you want to pipe in about how you've been feeling? Sure, and I'll just respond to something Sam just said, which is that Almost every message that I've received from a non-Jewish friend has made me cry. That someone from outside our community would take the time to so deeply empathize with something that I don't know why, and I hope we can talk a bit about in this conversation, I have a real curiosity about why it's so hard to stand up for the Jews. 
And when everything happened in Israel, when the when the first strikes came from Gaza, I had two colleagues in Israel, um, Dan Petrenko um, and Seth Zosky, who I'm working on a new show for the Winnipeg Jewish Theater, it happens to be about Kanye West. And um, so, you know, Dan grew up partially in Israel. And one of the reasons that he took Seth there was to help him understand more deeply anti-Semitism, which he hadn't really been touched by in Canada. And the terrible irony was they found themselves running for their lives and hiding in a shelter and somehow miraculously getting a flight out before the um, airspace closed. And I'll say one more final thing in terms of how I'm feeling right now, I would say a, a good canary in the mine is that my partner, Sarah Garten Stanley, and I just moved to Calgary. And we went downtown the other day on public transit. And as soon as we got off at our stop near where she works at Arts Commons, I saw huge Palestinian flags heading to the march. And there was an Indigenous woman sitting on the platform of the public transit. And I couldn't tell you why, but she was screaming in agony, just screaming in agony. And it was her screams and the the Palestinian flags that, you know, did something to my entire body. And so for me, that was um, a real red flag of how, how I was doing. We'll definitely talk about Dan, his experience in Israel, and the statement he put out a bit later. Tracy, thank you so much. But I do just want to hear from Jordan. Jordan, uh, you're a photographer as well. I don't know if you have an office or a space, but how have you been handling and dealing with all this? How have your colleagues, has any colleagues written to you or messaged you for any, any particular support? You know, my, my own feeling is really just one of anguish at this point. Um, it feels pretty hopeless. It feels pretty hopeless. Um, in terms of people who've reached out, yeah, like, like Tracy, um, I've just broken down when I've heard from friends who are not Jewish, who know that I'm Jewish, that I'm an Israeli citizen, that half my family lives in Israel. I know a lot of them don't agree, you know, but they're, they're humans and they're expressing their humanity. Um, I would just juxtapose that with some communities I've been involved with for a long time who know exactly where I sit and none of whom have reached out. It's frankly sickening. Um, these are people who I've supported in literally every possible way I can. And um, there's no other word I have for that besides disgust, particularly when one of them is, is a very active pro-Palestinian protester and it took every ounce of my courage to send her an email the other day just to say, look, I know we don't agree, but I'm sorry you're hurting. I'm hurting too. And, you know, that's met with just silence, which is, I guess, better than just saying, you know, go to hell. But um, yeah. So, yeah, this is it's, it's incredibly challenging. I want to I'm curious if any of you have spoken out publicly about this has have you posted anything on social media have you received any kind of flack from that uh or are you a bit apprehensive to sort of say i don't want to get into this tug of war constantly of having to explain myself of having to explain my position all the time and then you're just debating and then three hours of your life is is just online uh, uh sam what has your position both as an individual but also as a representative of uja where do you have to maybe walk that line so as an individual, 
I have been posting. I think I was frantically posting at the beginning and I have slowed down mainly for my own mental health. And at this point, it feels a bit like talking to an echo, talking to an echo chamber and my Jewish friends and some non-Jewish friends have made comments, but for the most part, they have been just, uh, they have not been as confrontational, David, as what you have stated. And I think that perhaps I'm lucky in that way, but I also, during uh, some past, in the past few years, I have unfollowed uh, some people that I know during times like this would be making those types of comments. So I realized that in some ways I've put up a bit of a protective uh, barrier around myself, but I felt that I needed to do that. And in terms of my work with UJA, we did put out uh, the platform that I manage is called Cultura Collective. I put out a message yesterday, which was more about how the arts can bring comfort and connection. And that at this moment, there might be changes that the community might be seeing, such as increased security when they go to events, and that events may be canceled depending on the organizational needs, but that for the most part, we're moving forward with events and exhibitions that have been committed to and that we hope the community will be able to come and take a moment to be part of the community and experience experience the arts and culture because that's where for me and I think for the people on this call that's how we connect to our identity and to our community. So Let's just dive right into the nitty gritty here. I know for myself, I've actually had to go off social media completely. I'm not checking my feed. I'm checking my messages and that's all. And I think last time it was a little bit more gray because of what was going on and the eviction of Palestinians from their homes. And I can understand why people were upset about that, even though the amount of propaganda that I was seeing, even though I was off social media, it was completely hard to ignore was still really unsettling as a Jew. This time, it feels even more heartbreaking because the situation to me is very black and white. People are basically glorifying a terrorist group. And it it brings to mind the responses of some arts or organizations in addition to some universities, um, which have been sent to me that are really appalling and completely denying the the horrors of the attack on civilians, one that specifically comes to mind was uh, Actor Toronto, the Actors Union, issued a statement that my friend sent me yesterday that basically apologized for their initial statement condemning Hamas by saying, oh, well, now that we see how Israel has retaliated, we revoke our statement and we have to look at this from a bigger picture. And my question really is, should arts groups have the right to issue these types of political statements to begin with. Jordan, would you like to pipe in on it? Yeah, um, I have many thoughts on this. And I think, so to answer your question directly, should they have the right to respond? Absolutely. You know, we live in a democracy um, like Israel, where you are allowed to say things that um, offend, and that is a sign of a healthy democracy. So I would never take away anybody's right 
to say what they believe so long as it's not inciting violence or hatred. Um, but I do want to touch on another point, which was just raised about social media. And I think, um, you know, like you, I am absolutely limiting my social media use because when I use it, I get angry, I'm distracted, I'm hurt, I'm scared. When I don't use it, those feelings tend to go away. And, um, you know, social media is designed, and I'm reading from a book, I'm actually reading on this right now. Um, what book? It's basically, <laughs> the book is called 4,000 Weeks. It's by a writer named Oliver Berkman. And um, it's really about our attention and how we use our attention. And um, this is not news to anybody. But social media is designed to cause you to engage with what is most compelling. And what is most compelling is what is going to make you either the most happy or the most angry. So, you know, to Sam's point earlier, we also have to preserve ourselves. So, of course, we're going to eliminate stuff that we don't want to see that incites our outrage. But that's exactly what this machine of social media knows. It's You can't compete. There's a thousand psychologists on the other side of these apps. And each one of those psychologists is trying to get you to engage with this more. It's an unbeatable war. So the only unfortunate solution is to limit or completely eliminate, you know, our engagement with this stuff because, you know, it's it's just too draining. And it causes us to, you know, as much as we're being dehumanized, it causes us to dehumanize other people as well. And um, it it doesn't work. It doesn't help. You know, that's my honest view. But to be honest, there is this kind of digital warfare happening on Instagram and TikTok or X or whatever. And I feel that if you're not engaging with it, you're in a sense losing because these ideas, whether you agree or disagree with them, they're being out there, they're being promoted, they're being retweeted by your friends or your family members. And they're saying, well, if I'm not hearing this quote unquote other side of the story, then this must be the truth because David or Alana isn't talking about or posting about it. They must then tacitly agree. What, what do you do in that case, Jordan? I think you need to take a big step back and ask yourself, is this worth it on balance? Is it worth it for me to not pay attention to my kids, to not focus on action in my community to help fellow Jews and fel help fellow artists and help people that might not agree with me that are suffering, you know, like, don't get me wrong. I'm no peacenik. Okay. Like I absolutely advocate for the absolute annihilation of Hamas. That's that full stop. That's it. But at the same time, I recognize that throwing stuff into this void that is the internet is not changing anything. And frankly, Hamas knows that. And yeah. it is a very, very distinct part of their strategy. It's been a part of the strategy of PACB, which is now called BDS, to just slowly drip, drip, drip until everybody starts to tell a different story. I would, I would have That's to. Agree. I would have to agree with you. I have found no. It it doesn't help me. Any time that I've tried to speak out online, I end up feeling worse. And talking about action. Uh, we mentioned briefly before Dan Petrenko. So he is the new artistic director of the Winnipeg Jewish Theater, and he released an incredibly written open letter to the Professional Association of Canadian Theater, PACT, which basically made the claim, which I would gather would be true, even though I haven't been looking. So I'm looking to you all on this panel to validate whether this has been your experience or not, but that the theater community has been pretty silent. And so in this letter, he is begging the community to step up 
and to stand up for the Jewish colleagues. And one of, one of the things that he brings up, and I'll just read this short quote, is he says, while you hesitate to speak up and condemn terrorism against Jewish people, you program plays and musicals that center Jewish stories with Jewish talent, work with Jewish colleagues, and welcome Jewish audiences into your spaces. Please do not abandon us in our time of need. Tracy, I'll turn to you since you work in the theater community. What do you... What resonates from that statement to you and, and what's been your experience with the silence of the theater community? Well, I think it's it's an excellent statement that, that Dan wrote and Winnipeg Jewish Theater is very lucky to have them as have him as their new AD. And I spoke to Dan yesterday about his conversation with PACT. I wasn't going to name the organization, but you read the letter, so... Um, it's out there. <laughs> and, and they... Yeah, it's out there. And they, they asked him... You know what do you what do you want us to do? Um, do you want us to make a, a comment on social media because that's just performative? That's what they said to him. <clears throat> Excuse me. So it had a, you know a few of us wondering when people post about Black Lives Matter and Indigenous issues and trans rights, is that all performative? And um, Dan explained to them that he wasn't asking them to take sides or take a political stand or host a town hall. He just wanted Jewish performers to know that they were safe in theater spaces and that our pain and our fight was understood. He also mentioned, and I don't know if this is true for some of you, that people have been checking in on us personally, but not making public statements. Absolutely. And that's the curiosity. Yeah, that's the curiosity I come to this conversation with is why is it so hard and so scary for people to stand up for Jewish people? Yes. That is an absolutely fed. Great question. Just last night, I got a message from two art friends who sort of says, hey, we haven't been able to post for whatever reason. We want to know. We want to know we're thinking of you, David. We feel so this is so tragic. We absolutely don't support Hamas. We we, we really back what Israel is doing, um, but we're not going to post anything. And that is fear of maybe losing friends or getting into other debates or anything like that, going down that vicious circle that we've talked about. But Tracy, that's absolutely correct that people are just not posting unless they might be Jews themselves or advocates for Israel. Sam, what do you think might be going on in the minds of these people to be like, I just don't want to post anything to support my Jewish friends and allies? I think people, firstly, don't understand what is happening. I think when things first broke out, um, and I was talking about this with another friend, actually, at Shabbat this weekend. When things first happened, I went over to a friend's house who's absolutely lovely, and we were going to have uh, coffee together, and she was with her two young children, and you know, there's cartoons playing in the background, and she said, you seem a bit off this morning. And I said, there's a war in Israel. And she said, I'm, I'm so sorry, I had no idea. But Are how, you serious? How would, how would my friend know? She not in the world that world she's not jewish she hadn't turned on the news yet that morning it was still very early on saturday morning oh it was on saturday so, i missed that part i was morning. like it's on every news station right now you cannot miss that it's going on no, this is this is saturday okay. morning when it first happened go on you know so i should have clarified that and and when we had a great co we had a conversation and you know she said she wanted to support me as much as she could but after leaving, I mean, even on the drive home, I just felt I just couldn't turn off the news. And I think the people who are outside of the Jewish community don't have the understanding or the words. I think in the first bit, they really wanted to show their support. And now as things are unfolding, they're not sure what to say. And I don't know what we can do except to say that 
we are people too. We are, our communities, our people, they really, they matter to us. And we've lost them. And they're innocent victims of terror. And that our our fight is with Hamas. And that this is an issue of human beings. Mm-hmm. And that... And that we really, I think that people aren't commenting to go back to your to your question, partially because they don't want to get into fights, partially out of self-preservation, partially because they don't feel the same, uh, they, they don't feel the, the Jewish pain, and the, their worlds around them are might be saying something very different. The thing about social media that perhaps Jordan, your book is talking about, is that we self-curate our feeds. We pick what we want to see, whether that's voices from the Jewish community, voices from the arts community, or, you know, maybe you just follow amazing dog videos because that's all you want to see when you pick up your phone. But whatever you're seeing, it's going to be amplified by the people around you. So perhaps people feel like they want to see something, but they're not sure what, or they're afraid of losing friends or followers. A Jewish friend of mine said that he posted something the other night and had 50 people unfollow him. So, and we're finding this. And so, but with that, you know, social media being eco chamber, if those people leave you, it just means that the other voices are being amplified. This is why I can't unfollow these people who, let's say, are very pro-Palestinian because they're still going to post their things. They're still going to say these things. And I, I do kind of want to know what my quote-unquote friends are posting. And Sam, you're right. My my Facebook feed and my Instagram feed is nothing but pro-Palestinian, pro-Israeli voices and dog videos. That is that is really all it is right now. That's exactly my That's exactly mine. And I think I want to go back a week to Thanksgiving where it just felt like I had my Jewish friends screaming, other uh, people in my feed talking about the what was happening in Gaza, and then just pictures of Thanksgiving. And look at my beautiful turkey. <laughs> I, I want to- You know, I have an idea. I have an idea that might be crazy, and that's, you know, if people are saying, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to say, or we're assuming they don't know what to say, there's a lot of damn good Jewish writers. So why don't some of us write some stuff and say, here, this is what you can say? Hmm. I, I want to ask a question that's really been in my mind for the last few years, and I've been almost too afraid to ask this question within the arts community. What do you do when you see the dark side of people that you have to work with? Because that's something that really unsettled me. A couple of years ago, when the last conflict broke out, even though I'd gone off social media, when I came back on a couple weeks later, there was still remnants of post, and I wish I could unsee some of the people that I see very differently now, now that I... <laughs> so I guess what I'm basically asking is how do you personally rectify knowing that there are people that you might have to work with or people that you might be friends with that don't understand the plight of what is going on right now? And does that impair your ability to work with them? How do you navigate that? I'll, I'll throw it to you, Jordan. I know you work as a life coach as well, and maybe you can give us some guidance from that perspective first before I throw it to everyone else. <sighs> you know, it's interesting. You're going back to what we were saying earlier about unfollowing people. 
sometimes you need to unfollow them in order to save your relationship with them. So, and I do that. Frankly, I do that. These are people that I like, I respect. They happen to have a different viewpoint than mine. And um, and I say, you know what? In the interest of knowing, I'm going to have to eventually speak to you. And on balance, I like you more than I dislike your views. Um, I don't want to see what you're saying right now. Right. Um, but as far as working with people and continuing to work with people, um, honestly, I think you just have to have compassion. Like that's my that's my coaching advice. My con- my coaching advice is like have compassion and and that starts with yourself. It doesn't it doesn't start with like have compassion for a Hamas terrorist. Okay, I, I'm not sure that's possible, frankly. But you can start with you know the, yourself and just say, what do I need? What do I need right now? You know, do do I need to turn off social media? Do I need to go for a walk? Um, what can I give myself that's going to like actually make me feel whole? And that's really important. Um, and people are not, I think at times like this, people tend to forget those rituals, those practices that, that are good for them. Um, when we do that, and I know this might sound a little woo woo, but when we do that, it's easier to be compassionate to other people. And, and you, you just start small. Like you gotta, you gotta remember Everybody is scared to death right now. It doesn't matter what side you're on of this. Like, you cannot be sitting at home and not be scared. If that's the place where you find common ground, just understanding, yeah, that person who clearly does not support the existence of an Israeli state is still scared, then at least there's like that tiny, 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 like Mm -hmm. just minuscule amount of compassion that you can find. And you start there. Um, I find that makes it easier to work with people. There are others who I know they're anti-Semites. Okay. Like uh, I'm going to call you out. Yeah. But, but besides that, like, you know, and those are rare. Like, honestly, those are rare. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree with you. I think that's great advice to find compassion, to try to find common ground. I think what I see a lot of, um, and I'd love to hear from Tracy next on this, whether this has been your experience is I think it's a lot of confusion. And I really think a lot of people in the arts world, they're not, Arab, they're not Jewish, and they don't actually understand what's going on. So how do you have those conversations? Or do you just let it go and say, you know what, they don't really understand. So I'm just gonna like, pretend that I don't know what they posted. And I'm just going to keep working with them. I think people who are not on fire with pain and terror or in survival mode right now are the ones we need. I am not expecting people who are fighting for their own survival right now to have compassion for the other side. They have to figure out how they're going to stay alive. But it's these other people that are not experiencing war who could take the time, I don't know, to educate themselves or come to, you know, my whole life is story sharing, you know, come to a circle where we share our stories of how we're doing or just try to understand because it's the people right now that are not in trauma that we need to speak up. Uh, without necessarily naming names, is there anyone that you've been particularly impressed with by their ability to handle this press, this social media, this this kind of onslaught? Someone either online or you've spoken to directly. I would say a friend of mine, uh, Rabbi Amichai Laulavi, who is an Israeli living in New York, who just flew to Jerusalem the other night. And he talks a lot about how our hearts have many rooms and we can hold many truths at the same time. You know, we can share hope for Palestinian liberation 
and that freedom for all is our dream. And that if people could understand that it's not about, hopefully not about taking sides, but really finding different rooms in your heart to have compassion for everyone that is suffering. Going back to what we brought up earlier about what do we actually do about this? How do we move forward from this? We talked about the open letters and the different ways that people want to see the arts organizations stand up. In your opinion, uh, Jordan, what can we actually concretely do right now to make a difference for our own safety within the arts community? Or what do you wish that someone else would do? Because I know all of us are dealing with our own stuff right now. But what kind of changes would you like to see happen in order for, God forbid, you know, if this continues or if we go through something like this again, that the arts community handles it in a way that actually makes us feel seen and makes us feel safe? It's hard to say any one outcome. I would say generally the one outcome I wish I could see is just institutions having courage. I, it, there's, we're surrounded generally by cowards and um, people have lost their moral compass. And, and that's because they're afraid of being canceled or being seen to be wrong or, um, you know, they're, they're held by the, the sway of, of influence that unfortunately opposes Israel's right to exist and defend itself. So um, I would like to see courage. I think there are a few ways to implement that. I think one is for sure letter writing campaigns. I'm involved with one now um, in respect of the AGO. Um, I think that should extend to every arts institution in the country. Um, and by the way, that is not for anybody to explicitly come out and condemn anything. Okay. I don't believe in forced speech, but I do believe that in, in addressing facts. And um, I do believe that when one per when you say something, it needs to be true. So, so I think that that's one important way to handle things. I think get in touch with your political leaders. That is a very, very important way to do what needs to be done. Um, that's critical. And uh, finally, like amplify important voices that are just being reasonable. You know, like uh, they're a writer, like Brett Stevens, excellent writer. He runs an organization called Sapir. They have a journal. Uh, Barry, Barry Weiss, she's a journalist. She is reasonable. She is fact-based. Everybody's got an opinion, of course, but she's somebody worth listening to. Sam Harris had an unbelievable podcast this week. Um, and frankly, he's taken aside, but he's doing it in a cold, rational, you know, almost neutral, not really, but almost neutral way. These are the kinds of voices that need to be amplified. And frankly, I've listened to Sam's podcast three times now because it's one of the few places I can go to and just be like, wow, this is calm. It's not making me angry. It's it's just lucid thinking. That's the kind of stuff that needs to be amplified. Listen, I told you all that when we came onto this um, recording that I was not looking forward to this conversation one bit. I know it's very stressful and emotional, but I just want to say a lot, your clarity, your your insights, and your, 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 your voices have been really helpful in this chat. So thank you all for joining us today. Uh, I truly appreciate it. And I wish you all the best and moving forward and uh, probably unfriend some friends and get off social media for sure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
Culturally Jewish is hosted by me, David Sklar, and Ilana Zakon. We're produced and edited by Michael Freeman, and our theme music is by Sarah Siegel Lazar. We're a member of the CJN Podcast Network. To support our work and everything the CJN does, visit the cjn.ca slash donate to make a monthly donation and receive a charitable tax receipt. Thanks so much for listening and see you next time. Thank you.